Hey folks, I've opened up some spots this year for new projects. So if you are looking for help with any of your apps or any of your work in the Swift and Apple space in 2024, you definitely want to get a hold of me, leo at brightdigit.com. I do work in iOS, macOS, watchOS, tvOS, Vision Pro, server side, whatever it is. I would love to help you and your team. I have 10 years of experience. And if you have been following this podcast, I'm pretty good at explaining and talking about stuff and communicating with your team. So I want to help you out. What can I do? What can I do to help you with your Swift UI issues, your weird core data problems, or you just, just need an extra helping hand? Definitely reach out to me, leo at brightdigit.com. We'd love to help you. You can also reach out to me on social media as well. Feel free to DM me. And let me know how can we help you and your team with whatever app projects you have coming down the pipeline. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and watching my YouTube videos. I'm really excited for 2024. If you want to continue to stay up to date, I highly recommend following me on social media and also signing up for the newsletter. We have a new article coming out on dependencies that we're going to be sharing in our newsletter that I think it's going to be fantastic and super helpful if you're having issues with dependencies and testing. The newsletter is located at brightdigit.com slash newsletter. Sign up there to get the latest issues as they come out. And then if you really want to stay on top of everything, we have our brand new Patreon, patreon.com slash brightdigit, where you can get early access to episodes, articles, all sorts of stuff that I'm working on, see how things are going with Bushel or whatever apps I'm working on right from there. So sign up for the Patreon to get early access, and you're it's definitely worth it. I highly recommend checking that out. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Bye. Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Chris Shlazinski. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Hi. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm super excited today to talk about follow-up on our last episode with Martin on Building Public and user experience, which I don't think we've ever really talked about, and chat GPT and stuff. You have a few apps out. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, okay. So my name is, my Polish name is Krzysiek, but I, in English I use Chris. So I come from Poland, but now I live in Thailand in six years. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, and I'm mostly an artist, more, more than a developer. Like I have a master's deg- degree in art. Oh, that's my, awesome. My major was painting and my minor was graphic design. So at least something related to building apps a little, designing. <laughs> <laughs> and later, after I graduated, I started my own business immediately after graduation. And I was working as a, a graphic designer first and designing websites and logos and things for print. And later, I, few years later, because it was around 2012, so now it's almost 12 years, I started to work as a UX designer. Yeah. And a few years ago, like when I was working as a UX designer, I, it was, it was very cool for me, this thought that it would be nice to build my own apps, not just design them, but actually work on them, develop them and have my own product. But I started first, there wasn't a Swift UI in the world. So I tried UI kit and it just, it just wasn't easy enough for me to start yeah. with development. Yeah. And later, yeah, like a win. I, I can imagine that. 
So when, when Apple introduced Swift UI, I tried again. And I, few months later, after the, after they released Swift UI, I started to work on my first app. I started development. I, I started designing those apps maybe a few years earlier, but just like I, I didn't have the skills to actually develop them. So I started to develop my apps in around 2020, so four years ago. And now I have five iOS apps on the App Store. Okay, what, so I know Moons. What yeah, else yes. is there? Yeah. So my first app that I supposed to be my first app is Numi, Excellence okay. Tracker and Budget Planner. But because it was so complex and was my first app, I didn't know how to do it. Like I, I was working on this few years when I already had some experience with this, but this app was still not released. My parents, during the lockdown, they needed an app to count points for games like the, when they were playing card games at home like a okay. like that. yeah and in one week i developed an app scoro for counting scoreboard app right like a very simple app yeah and what's very funny that this app that i made in one week it's it's still my best selling app and those other apps that i work on a few years like they are not making as much money as this but I also have, so I have this, those two apps. I have Moons, I have Wins for setting goals. Uh, okay. And I have Emo for, for journaling and for, it's like emotional inventory. Like you can, you, you can write if today you were happy or sad, like what happened, why some journaling, but like more towards emotion. Okay. So, yeah. Those five apps. So which is your most successful? Is it the scorekeeping one? Yes. So far, yes. So far, yes. What do you think is the secret behind it? Like why? It's funny. What what becomes a success and what doesn't? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I I remember when I released first version, some people told me that maybe it's not worth $1, like because it's so simple. It doesn't have many features. But I think because of the simplicity and just like some nice graphics some nice ui and people like it and just it's just like a, it's, it's very easy app it's not expensive it's just like a i started it as a one dollar one one time purchase now it's two dollars and yeah and people are still buying so <laughs> yeah i i think that there is just like a, there more more people want some app like that i, I think that even though there is a huge competition but also i think it's also because of keywords, I think that ASO helped me a lot because I, after I started to play with ASO and finding better keywords for my app, yeah, it has really a lot of impressions. Yeah. So we've had Ariel from App Figures mm -hmm. on quite a few times. So we've talked about ASO and I don't think we've had a developer on talk about ASO. So maybe you can give... What was the aha moment of ASO where you were like, okay, I get this. Now I understand why it's such a powerful tool. Okay. I, I have a very good friend on, on social media, on Twitter. Let me just, let me, allow me to continue call it Twitter. <laughs> uh, I, I still call it Twitter. It's okay. You're yeah. forgiven in 2024. So I have a very good friend on Twitter that met him on Twitter, Mateo Spada. He made a, a yeah. Astro, another tool another app for researching keywords for aso and yep. 
when he was starting to work on this, we talked a lot. I helped him a little with testing and some designs a little. And he told me many things about ASO as well, because he was studying this, the time, learning a lot about yeah. this. And yeah, so there were many things, right? For example, he told me that he forced me kind of <laughs> to add keywords to my app title. He said, Chris, okay. it's definitely, you need to try this. Okay, without this, you, you will not make a lot of progress. So after I tried it and it really worked, right? But to be honest, really, there were many things. It's, it seems like an easy topic, but there are many things that you can improve about your app. It's not just researching keywords. For example, what I do and many people don't do it is that I localize my keywords and I localize my app title and the subtitle, right? To, to many languages, to many as okay. all the, all the languages possible so on the Oster Connect. How do you, so you can go, I totally didn't know this and I feel stupid. So you can go to App Store Connect and localize that stuff. Somehow. Yes. And there is... How does uh, that... Yes. Just how does that work? I don't... I feel like I've never seen this in the App Store Connect. Okay. Do, so where do you go for that? Yeah. So you go to... First, you go to apps. You select your app, right? And like you have okay. the... There, there are two pages for this because one one is this current version of your app, right? Like yep. the, 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 there are versions right. And then of app it. information. Yes. Yes. And app information. Right. Yes. And those things are divided between those two pages. So on, on one, I think that on one, you have keywords and on, on another one, you have app name and subtitle and app description, right? So in, in those on those both pages, on, in the upper right corner, there is this dropdown with languages. And by default, for most people, it's English US. And when you click on this dropdown, you can add more languages there. So you can localize your product page, right? Like, uh, oh my gosh, yeah. I see it now. Yeah. And, well, it's, it yeah. doesn't, do you have to do it when you, did you, do you have to do it when you upload a new build? Yeah, to do this, you need to upload new build. Like, okay, uh, wow. Yeah, so That's awesome. Be because those information, like uh, app title and, and all those things, that they also need to be approved by by the uh, App Store team. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm a big fan. As I've talked about, I use Fastlane, and now it makes sense because they have different folders for different languages. And yeah, I could just do that just duplicate it and then translate yeah. it and then put that in my next build yeah, and, that's and, awesome and definitely do it because even people that are only focused on the usa which i think is a huge mistake to be honest because if yeah. i look at my downloads and my proceeds maybe often usa is like the biggest country that that's in my stats in my in my proceeds but when I look at regions that like I have much more money from Europe, so it's definitely worth doing this. And how do you pick, so, sorry, yes. how do you pick what languages? Cause it's interesting. You're talking about this cause I'm looking at with Bushel, the app I just released for Mac OS and I started looking at, okay, what, like obviously I just have English. There's some mm -hmm. Arabic actually, thankfully through, through a colleague of mine who helped with that. But then as far as like picking the next language, what, how would you recommend? Would you just look at analytics and see where people are downloading it? Or you can't do everything. Yeah, but it's a little tricky because if you started, if you have only keywords for US, 
right? So you don't have localized keywords for other countries. So like at this moment, like that, that your analytics will not be very reliable, right? Because what I would do is that I would use some ASO tools like Astro, which allow you to check keywords per country. So you can research your keywords per each country. And maybe you will find some cool opportunities there. Because what I found is very often some keywords in other countries, like, I don't know, Netherlands or Sweden or Poland or Germany, right? Sometimes, sometimes there are some opportunities that there are some popular keywords that are not difficult because other apps don't use those keywords, right? They don't, op- okay. we say don't, they op- don't optimize for them, but they don't use them right, in, right. in their keywords list. Okay. Yeah. So okay, that makes total sense. Yeah. And also there, there's one very big misunderstanding that so many indie developers think like this, that they think that to localize the, uh, this product space and keywords, they need to localize the app. But those are two completely separate things. So you can have Okay, your... and I think that's where I was getting confused because <laughs> I was like looking at who's using Bushel and that's fine. That's localization of the app itself. But we're talking specifically about the App Store metadata, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yes. So those things are completely not related. You can have app only in English and you can localize for all the languages in the App Store Connect. Okay, okay, very cool. Okay, so... Is there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to AI? Because I want to jump in and talk about user experience. Because <laughs> um, I don't... Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, when we were talking, I think before you hit record button, that about diacritic signs, oh, right? Yes. I we told were, you that yeah. I have one tip for that. I think it's not very well known mm. because I read a lot about... First of about... all, does Polish have diacritic marks? Yes, yes, a few of them. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would say so, yes. This is why I know about them. Yeah, and many people that maybe don't know, right? Because like in English, I think that, to my knowledge, only the words, that word comes from French. I think fiancé, that you are using this like apostrophe above. But even no, it's not popular. Yeah, like maybe the, like some Spanish words. Uh-huh. Like El Nino, right? Uh-huh. They have the little... Um, so you are a little... Like maybe eh, but otherwise it's very rare no. that people use diatretic marks in English. Yeah. Okay. So I have one tip for you. So if you... Aha. And this is also very important. Don't just translate your keywords from English to other languages because the popularity of them is very different. You really need to right. find synonyms or maybe one keyword like for example football in america will be much more popular than soccer and soccer this is like a very obvious example but there are so many others but if you it's a difference it's a difference between localization and translation right there are different cultural ways of referring to things as opposed to just plainly like translating a word verbatim there's like different meaning and connotation to it yes i get it totally so my tip is that if you find some keywords that have those diacritic signs, right? Like those apostrophes, like accents or some tilde over <laughs> above the letter or yep. whatever, research them, check their popularity with Astro or other ASO tool, but also use chat, tell chat GPT or whatever, take this list of keywords and remove all the diacritic signs. So use only Latin letters and check this version again. Because in some countries, people type with those diacritic signs and sometimes they sometimes. type without. 
and those popularity scores that we get, which in Astro, we, we have directly from Apple. There are different scores for version with diacritic and without. So if you don't check both, you will think that maybe this keyword is not popular, but later you will check this other version and suddenly you will see that, oh, it is very popular. And later you can use whatever you want because when people type those keywords, algorithm will will search for both versions, right? So you can later you can use whatever you want, but when you research keywords, research both versions. Okay, okay. That makes total sense. Okay, so my funny diacritic story. Di- di- do I say it right? Di- diacritic. Mark, Diacri- uh, I think diacritic signs or diacritic letters. I think that's okay. how it's called. At least it's Polish. Yeah. So I, I hope. I, I had set up a. I had I'd set up an app to track Switch games, Nintendo Switch games, and there's a very big franchise Nintendo has that has a diacritic mark. And when people were searching for it, it wouldn't show up in the database because in the database it was stored with the diatritic mark. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Can it, you guess what game or franchise has a diatritic mark in it that people... Can, can, can I say it loud or not? Or not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you, you mean about po- Pokemon? Po- Pokemon or what? People would search Pokemon and it would never come up because I think in the database it didn't have it. And in, or one or the other. And so I had to figure out, and this was all using vapor and i had to figure out a way to make the data so there's like case sensitive case insensitive there's like diatritic sensitive and diatritic insensitive or Mm -hmm. i had to transform the string or something and yeah so yeah that was my first lesson in computing and diatritic marks but you mean that they don't show up in the app store search or you mean in your database with some other in my database in my postgres database yeah so mm-hmm. yeah, I it's just FYI. Yeah, developers yeah. out there, they make a difference. Yeah, yeah. And even for example, when you are writing fetch requests and with core data, like there, there are special flags for this. So if you don't include yeah. them, like those diacritics letters would be less. If even though like in this country alphabetically they should be, for example, letter A with diacritic sign, should be right after regular a right like a english it's an actual it's an actual character it's not it's not like special a it's like something different it's called different yeah it's the same Mm. with spanish and the n like we talked about there's the n and then the n with the mark is it i want to say it's called the enya in spanish totally don't quote me on that but yeah they're different they're different Mm -hmm. letters yeah yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. totally yeah yeah in polish we pronounce them very different it's it's not different it's not it's not just accent but like it's really the sound of this letter is different yeah so it's funny how those small things affect our world as a developer story (laughs) yes it's and i envy that because like you have i've like kids who are learning how to read and oh yeah c can do this sound c can also do this sound and c can also do this sound (laughs) and it's yeah you have to teach them that. Or at least with a di- diatritic mark, they can figure out, oh, how to actually pronounce it. But, oh, English is a, is a mess. So do you want to talk about, let's, well, do you want to talk about, let's talk about GFG, chat GPT, actually. I had talked about in the previous episode on Bushel, how I use chat GPT for Bushel and mm-hmm. how I plugged it. In the previous episode, Martin was talking about, actually, I think he used it for Sprint Kit stuff. I... It, my my whole take with ChatGPT was it was okay for answering some 
complex programming questions, but where I really found it useful, honestly, it was like marketing, app store metadata, mm -hmm. just talked about things like that. That's where I found it super useful because one of the problems as a developer is when you're building an app, it's honestly really hard to think about like the marketing side of that app, right? It's okay. I don't know how to describe to someone what my app does. Like I have to figure yeah. it out. I've been working in it all day and all night, but now I have to figure out how to like mm -hmm. describe it for marketing purposes. And it's like, I don't know. And like chat GPT, I found super helpful in that way. What's your take on it? Yeah. So first of all, yeah, I, I agree. I would say that the hardest part of coding is marketing. <laughs> so I use ChatGPT for many things. I know that many people are skeptical and they have their reasons. Maybe sometimes they use a little, they use this tool a little differently than I would use it, but I okay. find it super helpful for many things. Like I'm using this for those things that you mentioned too. For example, I, when I want to write app description of my app, I would tell ChatGPT yeah. to like, I'm working on this app. It has those features. Please write an app description for the app store for me. I would never just, never use just like a copy paste and just like copy and paste all those things that ChatGPT told me for anything, to be honest. Like I, I, because it's very often it's wrong. Some, sometimes it will guess many things like uh, about this app description, right? Like it, sometimes it will add something in this app description that maybe you, you don't actually have in the app, right? The term is hallucinate. Yes, AI yeah. just come makes up stuff that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, I have a, a, a Sometimes, yeah, I have this joke that I'm using on Twitter sometimes. Like, I call ChatGPT, Chad Gpitowski, I'm Polish immigrant, <laughs> that, that I, I hired as my personal assistant. And, um, and I treat ChatGPT like this is like, a, for example, like a, some intern, maybe someone that is very eager to help me, but maybe doesn't have the, all the experience yet and it just makes some mistakes. And doesn't have this experience to to tell you that he's wrong sometimes, right? Like he's very confident about everything, but very often he's wrong. So I always double check everything that ChatGPT will tell me. So yeah, for, for sure. I think that's a really I like your intern description because that's not a bad. That's it's better than nothing. I don't know. I don't mean that in a bad yeah. way, but it's it's a super great like starting point for a lot yes. of stuff. Yeah, it's definitely ignorant. One of the things I found helpful too is, as far as Bushel is concerned, I have this—I don't know—you like it pages and pages of dialogue. One of the things mm -hmm. I was talking about in that episode was I have pages and pages of dialogue with ChatGPT, teaching it what Bushel does and how it works, mm -hmm. correcting it, like prompt engineering. I think is the term that's been used lately. Where now, like it's building up, it's building up the machine. It's machine learning as you talk to it. Mm -hmm. about the app so that way it gives better answers and yeah. i've been continually feeding it into this big dialogue i guess into chat gpt to teach it but also to better better give it better answers like i'll correct it if it says something wrong could you remove this this actually is not a feature yes and it'll fix it and yeah but, it's not perfect but it's a hell of a starting point i think but if you start a new chat it will forget everything so you need to continue right. in the previous yeah. chat. yeah uh, that's exactly what i mean yeah. So yeah, so I'm using this like for writing some marketing. I'm using it so for brainstorming, right? Like this is like my coworker yep. intern whatever, right? Like that I 
yep. we are brainstorming together. I will tell him like I'm building this app. What keywords would you recommend for ASO? And it gives me some list of keywords. And I will put them into in Astro and check if they're actually popular. So sometimes it will give me some keywords that, oh, jackpot, right? It, it was a good idea. But sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes those keywords are not popular at all. But uh, but it's helpful, right? Like it's just another idea. It's just another source of ideas. Yeah. For for and I use it every day to be honest for coding. Even I can give you some examples if you want. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so I'll just tell you, like as far as coding, there was a lot of hallucinations. What I was getting when I was asking answers asking questions a lot of stuff it was it would do fairly simple stuff first of all a its first language is obviously python because if you ask it to do anything it gives you python as an answer so you have to specify swift but as far as swift and like the apis i didn't think i thought it was okay i think sometimes it does a decent job or it's good starting point but sometimes it was just like totally off like it didn't understand what the api is for or how it works behind the scenes and that that was like a struggle for me where I was just like, I've given up on this. And I'm doing maybe, maybe if you're doing like Swift UI, like some simple Swift UI type stuff, mm-hmm. it's fine. Or something that could be like easily, like it's good at patterns. So if it's a pattern of some sort, then it like does decent. Yeah, go ahead. What was your experience? I'm curious as far as coding with chat. Yeah, one thing I will also add that I'm also using this for localization. Like I very often, this is like my first okay. step when I localize apps because like I discovered that it's much better than Google Translate. But I'm using some other tools for localization. There's a very cool website, applelocalization.com. And there are like many strings localized that apple uses so you can use the okay. same strings that apple has like in your app so things like a delete close are you sure or whatever right like those sim- simple yeah that's really useful yeah, yeah and about coding i'm using it for many things for example i ask it to generate some code to generate some fetch requests or if i forgot how to how to make a computer property that will get me the first or last day of month or week, right? I, I will tell chat GPT to That's, do it. See, yes. Because it's mathematical. I think it's because it's mathematical. Obviously, I think it's using like Stack Overflow probably for a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like mathematical. So that's, if you do it in one language, you could pretty much do it in that mm-hmm. language. So I think that, that makes total sense. Yeah. So we also need to remember that at least this free version, which I'm using, I'm using this free version, it's, to be honest, so far it's enough for me. That's 3.5, right? Yes. So it yeah. doesn't have the latest knowledge, right? Like it's it's until 2021, I think. Some maybe September okay. of 21 or whatever. So you will not ask it about the uh, latest APIs from Apple, right? Because it doesn't know about them. But many things before this... Uh, yeah, as you said about those hallucinations, that some sometimes it will it w- will make up some API that doesn't exist, for example, or some methods in some some APIs that they just don't exist, like that your code will right. not compile. But for me, it's not a, a showstopper. Really, if I use some code and an Xcode will tell me this doesn't exist, I, I go back to ChatGPT and on this line. Tell I it. got this error and how to fix it, right? And yep. also there is this 
it looks like a refresh button that, that you can have another version, another answer, right? Like yep. It's a very yep. easy way to have another, it will show you another way of doing something, right? It can basically re is it regenerate answers. Yes. Like yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Other things is, yeah, I ask him how to fix some error or I ask him sometimes explain this code to me, right? Because I, I should say that chat GPT is not the only tool that I'm using, right? I'm, I'm still uh, reading tutorials or books or watching WC videos or Stack Overflow. I'm still using it. And I use Google, right? Like I use many things, right? So, sometimes I will find some code that is supposed to help me, but maybe I don't know everything about it, right? Like there, there are some new things that, that I don't know. So I will copy and paste this code to ChatGPT and will ask him about some specific things that are new to me. So I will tell him, please explain you what this code is doing, this line, this method, this function, whatever. So it's a little, yeah, I started saying that it's an intern, but sometimes it's also like a mentor, a little like a, especially for me that I'm not a professional developer. Like I, so I, like when I want to learn something that, I still don't know anything about it. That there's some new topic for me. I, I would either need to Google it, read documentation, or if you work with other developers, right? If you have some friends that are more advanced, you could ask them. But because I don't want to bother people all the time with my <laughs> with my newbie questions, I asked ChatGPT, and he has some basic knowledge to explain some new topics to me. Sometimes, yeah. So it's like a mentor that. I just don't trust entirely. <laughs> yeah, but I have a very recent use case that two days ago, I it helped me to fix one one bug in my app because I I have in my app wins that I'm working on a new version that I I'm working on a data model migration, right? And after this, no, you're using Core Data, correct? Yes, yes, I'm using Core okay, Data. Okay. And for this, the there was nothing wrong with the data model migration, but but with some function that I use after this. <laughs> so for example, for this data migration, I'm, I just follow chapter in Donnie Wall's book, Practical Core Data. It was one of the best books that I bought for, for coding, really. It's just wonderful because there are so many practical examples there. So the data migration went smoothly, but after the migration, when I had... In my app, I would have some older objects, that items that, for example, maybe they were not migrated during the uh, migration, the app start, because maybe they were downloaded later from the iCloud and they would still mm -hmm. show in my app. So I wrote a function that would convert those objects, like that they would, for example, copy one value from one property to another. And yeah. my app was crashing and I didn't know what to do. And I spent a few hours fixing this and ChatGPT helped me. Not, not at first try because like at first it didn't know what to do, but just like, I, I just don't give up when it doesn't help me the first time. I will come back to it and ask it another question. And I tried debugging and just like, I, I found some part of code that, okay, now I'm sure that this part of code, this function is crashing the app. And and I told this to ChatGPT. And at this point, it suggested an answer that I just, uh, I needed to just add one line of code to wrap my code when I'm saving many items into the uh, 
context.async or something. Okay. That, yep. that's yep. because, and I asked it why it, it, it did it happen. And it told me that it's because that core data code needs to be run on the executed on the, on one thread. Main on thread. Yeah, yeah, on yeah, the main yeah. thread. And I didn't know it, it's some complex stuff. It's like a too complex for me, painter have and you, artist. Have you jumped into? <laughs> I have to. I'm obliged to ask. Have you jumped into Swift Add on all? Yeah, I tried it. I, I think it's very cool. And I tried it for my app moons before I released it. I gave it a try. I migrated my core data stack to Swift Data. But I reverted this because it doesn't have all the uh, features yet that core da data has. And yes. one specific, no, yeah, one specifically that I needed is the, it's called section fetch request. I think the correct name of this. Okay. Is, is it like a, when you are writing a fetch request that, for example, that you will have a list of items, right? Like in, in my moons app, mm -hmm. that, for example, I have time entries when people work, when they track time. I will have a complete list of this, but I want, I wanted this to have a divided into groups, for example, yeah. per day, right? And you can do this using Swift after you, you fetch all those items. So you can use Swift data for, for this, but it's super slow. I didn't know that the okay. difference is so huge. So I needed to go back to core data because just the section fetch request in core data is so much faster. Okay. Okay. That makes total sense. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on Swift Data. I think I did a I did an episode with Peter Witham on it, so you definitely should check that out mm -hmm. on his podcast. I'll post a link to it because yeah, Swift Data is interesting. But anyway, all I, right, I, go I ahead. Think, I think it will be really great. Maybe next year. I hope that like a next version. I will think. Be... <laughs> and if you're already having issues with threading, trust me. Really, I would have to make it easier <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, I want to talk about user experience. Mm -hmm. What the heck is user? Isn't user experience the same thing as user design? I know that's probably the question people yeah, User experience. User design, interface yeah. design. Hi, a user interface design. Those are similar topics and there's a huge misunderstanding. Sometimes I don't know how to talk about it a little because sometimes when people say something negative about UX slash UI that is very popular right now that they sound like it's gatekeeping, but it's a huge misunderstanding of the topic. UI design, right? is a part of UX. Sometimes people say, which is not correct, that they say that UI is how the app looks and UX is how it works, which is not correct because UX is the whole experience, is this user experience. Okay. So it's ev everything that you experience with the app, right? Part of it is UI. Part of it is user interface and graphics. It's only part of it, right? But there are other things, right? What are other things, right? User flow, for example, like how the, the app is guiding you through, through, through that, some process. How is it fixing the problem? Does it understand your problem? Some coding things, like some development part, like for example, does it crash or not? If it if, if it's crashing a lot, it's not a good user experience. Even it's not related to UI design, right? So design, user experience design, it's, it's a very uh, broad thing. And UI is just a part of it. So sometimes like people are using this like a UX slash UI. It's a little, I would say like a, I am a 
front-end slash full-stack developer, right? It's, okay. it's a, a little doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways of finding out that, like, you're doing the right thing with user experience? Like, how are you like, okay, like, I'm doing this right, this makes sense, or... Yes, there, there are many things, and then many people focus maybe on this design part. The first thing they go is they open Figma and they start to design screens, right? But they should start That's the fun with... stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they skip research, for example, right? This is a very important thing. First, it's very good to understand what you want to build and why, right? Because apps should solve some problems, right? Like this is what we are doing. We are solving problems with software. So first we need yeah. to identify those problems. Who has the, uh, those problems? What are those problems? Maybe there are other solutions that that solve this problem. What is wrong with those solutions? So maybe you will learn from your potential customers that they are already using some apps. You will learn what is wrong with these apps, what they want from those apps, so you will know what features you should develop for them, right? Later when you... So you did your research, later you start designing. So... Now it's more UI design, right? You design interface and also you exit, you design user flows. But after you design those things, again, many people keep this part. They don't test it. They look at, okay, I designed something, therefore it's good, <laughs> but they don't test it. What I'm doing is that before every release, I before every, at least first release, right? I test my apps. I invite few people. Many developers, they just use test flight and they invite people to test flight, right? And they wait for those, this, those users' feedback, right? Very often, if you ever use test flight for this, you will know that many times people will just not write back to you, right? Like many people just... <laughs> you will find some crashes sometimes, right? Because you, you will have some crash reports, so this is good. But I'm using test flight a little differently. I... I invite few people for usability testing that I, I conduct remotely via FaceTime. I have a call with them like, like we have right now. I send them link to test slides right before the call because I, I don't know, I don't want that they use the app earlier. And during the call, they share their screen of their iPhone with me on, on FaceTime. You can also use QuickTime for this. Look, at that time you, you would see a separate window, right? Like with, yep. they would share yep. the screen. And, mm-hmm. But even without yeah. this, you can just use FaceTime with this and screen sharing. It's very convenient. So you will see their screen and you will hear their voice and you will see on camera their reaction. So I tell them, I start, this is very important thing that I tell them that today we will use the app, not you. So don't worry if you do some, if something will not work, because this means that there's something wrong with the app, not with you. Uh, yep. I I look for a few seconds like how they are using my app for the first time when they see it. I tell them like you can just browse a little. And later I have few tasks for them. For example, when I test tested my app Moons, I had few tasks for people. Like for example, I would tell them that please create this project, please edit this project, please start the timer, please export time entries to the CSV file. Because um, you also need to be very careful to how you, which words you are using in those tasks that you have for people, because we don't want to suggest. 
think, right? Yeah. You uh-huh. want to be, you don't want to be opinionated. Yes. You want to be as neutral as possible so that Ex- way you can fetch the information out of it. Yep. Exactly. So I, sometimes I try to use some more generic words than, for example, words that I have in my UI, because if I would use the word that I have very clearly in the UI, like this would be very clear suggestion for them. And they would try to use some button that, that because I used the name later, what's also very important when you look how they are trying to fix this problem that you just gave them, don't help them too much. Look at just observe. Just take notes. Yeah. Do you record it? Sometimes, but not very often because. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just take notes all the time. Like I, I, okay. I don't want to make people stressed more because of this. That makes uh-huh. sense. Yeah. So even though many people told me that if I want, I can record this. I just took few screenshots, but, but just like a taking notes was enough for me. From if I work for my clients and we have more advanced usability tests. Yeah. Sometimes I record that and I participated in some sessions that were recorded that were later watched by some UX teams and whatever. Yeah. But for me, no, I just, I prefer simplicity for many things that I'm doing. Just recording would be another complexity here. How do you recruit people? Cause I think that's one of the hardest things is I'll have people using my apps, but like, good luck. Like I have their email address, but good luck getting them to like actually be like, yeah, I'll take 15 or half an hour and sit down with you. Cause that's what I found really hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very good, good question. And a few people asked me about this. So it depends on the app that I'm using, right? Like for this app Scoro, that is like a for broad audience. It's very simple app. Like any, literally anyone can use it, right? It's, it's not that niche. I tested it with people in my family as well. So not through uh, FaceTime, okay. but also in real life, which is even better. If you have this opportunity to test in real life on real device, it's even better than FaceTime. So I tested this with my brother, with my wife, with my parents who were at that time in Thailand. So my dad and my mom used this app to, yeah. to count scores. But other people, and especially when your app is more targeted to some specific audience like for developers for example right so building public helps a lot here and networking and finding those connections i very often i invite other indie developers and i have this group of friends right now that i invite them to test my app when they need something i will help them for example mateo that that made us sure he helped me to test i think every app that i have so that's awesome yeah, and that makes sense. We talked in the last episode with Martin about building in public. And yeah, I think that's a big thing and something I've been doing and hoping to do in 2024 more of is like exposing Martin. the little gears and things. Of, yeah, go ahead. Martin is another of my friends. He also tested once before I released. Yeah. yeah and even <laughs> l- lately we invited him because maybe I will talk briefly about this because I think this is, I see a huge value in this. With few of my friends, we made a small group, like a you know, support group. At first, we called it Mastermind, Abstro Mastermind, but now we changed nice the name. Friend, yeah, yeah. So we have this small group that, that few of us, we have weekly calls every Monday where on, on FaceTime okay. that we just talk. Sometimes we just talk about films or games for a few minutes. Very often we talk about our 
apps, our ideas about code, about marketing, about, about this. So this is thanks to building public. I met all those people through this, through building in public and connecting with people, ma- making those friendships. And this helps me so much. If, even though like I, I use ChatGPT every day to help me with code, but but those guys, they, they are very often my moral support. They you're not going to get that from Chat GPT. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Chat GPT doesn't have any experience. That's the thing, and like, yeah. <laughs> can't have real conversation with it. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about masterminds. I've been in masterminds, and yeah, having somebody to meet every so often just to throw ideas at. And yeah, it's yeah, it's great. very cool, especially do. when you are with the. Uh, people that are doing the same as you, right? Like the other developers and people that have the same experience, like they will understand you so much, right? Like they, they, they for example, my friends that are you, just UX designers, sometimes they don't understand some aspects of app business. I can talk with them right. about UX, sure. But there are some aspects that only this group of indie developers will understand because they went through those, right. the same problem. Yep, yeah. Anything else before we close out? I feel like we covered quite a bit of stuff. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. It was my first time on the podcast. I was super, super stressed before this. I even wanted to ask you that maybe we can do this in Polish because I worried about my, I was worried about my English. Your English is far superior to my Polish. So I think, <laughs> I think we did the right choice. Chris, where can people find you online? Me? few places like a few months ago it would be just twitter right <laughs> but now it's twitter and linkedin mastodon thread i have my own website next-planet.com and on the app store too right if they search for next planet on the app store they will find my apps so awesome awesome and we'll put links to all that in the show notes below so checks chris's stuff out awesome person to follow on x twitter whatever you want to call it (laughs) and mastodon and stuff yeah thank you chris it's been fantastic people can find me yeah you're welcome people can find me on twitter at leo g dion my company is bright digit mastodon at leo g dion at c.im if you're watching this on youtube please can subscribe share with others i would really appreciate it and if you're listening to this on a podcast player i'd love a review thank you so much everybody for joining us for this episode and i really Uh, like your podcast really people should subscribe this is one of my favorite ios podcasts so go for it (laughs) yeah thank you thank you chris have a good rest of your week everybody and i look forward to talking to you again bye thank you Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Chris Schlazinski. Did, did I say that right? Schlazinski. Yeah, in okay, English, you can pronounce Schlazinski. <laughs> I don't mind saying Schlazinski. Shla, Shla, is fine. Yeah, okay, yeah it, to... I think it's really good. I think like it's the one of the best versions okay. I've heard let, from... Let me do the intro people. again. Let me try the <laughs> intro again. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps.